Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 144. On today's show, we've got a Roman sandwich with a Scottish filling. Mmm, tasty. <laughs> Let's dig a little deeper. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to the Archaeology Show, live from Austin, Texas. <laughs> Again. No, not live at all. <laughs> no, not live. <laughs> Definitely not live. If we were, we are live for ourselves, but there's literally nobody watching us. That sounds about right. Right. So we can say whatever <laughs> we want right now and then just like cut it out later if we don't like the way it sounds. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to mention real quick at the beginning here, we always talk about where we're at and what we're doing. We're probably going to start minimizing that a little bit in the next month or so, only because we are starting a new podcast and corresponding video series on our YouTube channel and on our website for what we do in the RV here. The website is called Roadster Adventures. It's a combination of our last names. So it's R-O-D-S-T-E-R adventures.com. You can find us on YouTube as well under the same name. And yeah, we'll have a, if you're interested in RV stuff and where we're at and what we're doing, then definitely check that out and we'll stop taking up space here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we're archaeologists, we like to visit historical things and places and stuff. So a lot of our adventure content tends to lean that direction. So that's why we mention it here. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, I mean, I would like to do a lot more interviews and things on site and places we go with different historical societies and things like that. And just haven't had time for it with my work schedule. I'm hoping that as my work schedule evolves in the new year, that we'll have more time to do things like that because... Sometimes you just can't get those interviews on a weekend, which is the time we can go out just like everybody else. Yeah, totally. But we might be able to do it more midweek and get on people's calendars. So, Yeah, so if you're on our route and you are one of those people or know one of those people, <laughs> please do let us know because we'd love to interview yeah. real people doing real work in the archaeology slash history, I guess, sphere. Yeah, just send, uh, you can send me an email, chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. See if we're going to be near where you're at. And, you know, if you're running, a, if you're a grad student running a field school or a professor running a field school or a CRM archaeologist running a dig that we can actually come and talk about, I understand a lot of times those things are under hush, NDAs hush. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, but we do like to just talk about the archaeology in general. Obviously, nothing. We, we would never talk about anything that, you know, would get you guys in trouble. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, contact us, Chris, at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. And if you're interested in our other stuff, Roadster Adventures, pretty much everywhere, you can find that. All right. Well, producer Kimmy found us three articles for this week, and we are going to talk about them now. And I feel like 
Simona over at the Arcu Animals podcast about to talk about this first one. Romans, all Romans, <laughs> all the time. She hates the Romans. She doesn't hate the Romans. I feel like everybody in England is just like, ah, Romans. Romans again. <laughs> Which is kind of how this article is. It's sort of like a, all right. Romans again. Yeah. We're digging. We didn't know that they were there. And look, we found Romans. So, <laughs> Except in this case, it's Romans in Turkey. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> For some reason, I was just thinking the UK. Uh, I think we've had other articles, but... We do. Yeah, yeah. The other one is in the UK. The other one's in the UK, yeah. <laughs> but this one is in Turkey. But I also, like the Roman Empire was so big, the British aren't the only ones that go, uh, Romans. Yeah, totally. When they find it, so... Anyway, this one, check the show notes for the article links, but the title is Archaeologists Reveal Roman Sanctuary in Ancient Dolice. Oh, know. see, now I looked up the pronunciation for this word this time. Oh, Would you like it? to hear it? Yeah, how's it okay. Pronounced? So there's two ways that I can find on the internets. One of them is Dalek, which makes oh. me so happy because, yeah, you know, Doctor Who. And the other one, which I think is probably the actual one because I found it more, but it's Daleki. Daleki. Okay. Yeah, or yeah, Daleki or Daleki. Yeah. Well, I guess if it's a Turkish word. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't know how to pronounce that, so that makes sense. Mhm. All right, cool. Well, a team of archaeologists were carrying out excavations and these archaeologists were from Munster University's Asia Minor Research Center and anytime the U has two dots over I have to pronounce it Munster. <laughs> I think anyway, that is how you sh- you're supposed to pronounce it. So. I know with like a little more emphasis on the mu. But anyway. <laughs> Got it. So they were conducting these excavations in Dalek. <laughs> I almost said resistance is futile. What do the Daleks say? <laughs> Exterminate. Exterminate. <laughs> anyway, pretty much the same thing. Exterminate. <laughs> yeah. They're not the Borg, but they pretty much are. Right. Okay. So anyway, they they found this Roman sanctuary, and it's pretty cool. And, you know, anytime we get pictures of these things, this thing looks like fully excavated, swept off, and beautiful. I'm like, what, you know... At what, to, at what point in time are we entering the excavation here uh, as far as this news article goes? Yeah. Is it like a level photo, like where they just made everything look pretty somewhere in mid-excavation? Or is it like the know. final, final? doesn't look like it. It looks like a full sanctuary. Yeah. Anyway, the town of Dalek uh, was founded in the as a Hellenistic colony during the second century BC. So about, uh, what, 2200 years ago, give or take. Yeah. And it was annexed by the Romans in 72 CE and incorporated into the Roman province of Syria. So Syria was much bigger back then. Mm-hmm. And previous GPR studies had not indicated any sort of burial structure, which is really interesting to me because it's all stone. And I'm like, did previous GPR studies even look here? Was it too deep? The GPR can look pretty deep. Yeah. Or was it just too like complicated? Like there was too much there and they couldn't yeah. they couldn't parse out the different structures and things or something maybe? GPR is ground penetrating radar for those that don't know or remember. We talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. The temple is oriented east-west with a width of 35 meters. Again, not a small thing. Yeah. Right? This thing's pretty big. Yeah, uh, totally. It contains an apse, uh, which is a semicircular recess on the western side. So, pretty well-defined, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. And uh, a pretty cool thing to find. 
they said that uh, despite the high level of destruction through subsequent use, so after this was not being used as a Roman temple anymore, it was used by other people, which totally makes sense. After that subsequent use and pillaging, because there's always pillaging, right? there is still a lot there, enough to reconstruct what the temple actually looked like. And that's one thing I thought was cool. They've got fragments of capitals and beams. Capitals are the things at the tops of columns and stuff, right? right? Capitals and beams, which are always decorated with something in whatever the current style is. Yeah, and in Roman times. That was Roman times, very yeah. important to them to have the, the decoration and they had different column capital types and all kinds of things. So right. I imagine they could pinpoint pretty specifically when it was built, what time period, just yeah. based on the style of those things. Yeah, for sure. Interesting though, like if something's around for a few hundred years, you know, would they never change that kind of stuff out? It's just too hard. I mean, it's not like oh, they're yeah. It's not like they're all molded out of a single piece of stone. It seems like you could chip it out for people who are used to working with stone. It'd be a lot of work though. Yeah. I it c- would. I could see it happening in like the bigger cities, like in Rome itself and yeah. other places like that. But Update I don't know. For the current emperor kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm not sure a, a satellite city that although this seems like it was a pretty big city, so I don't know. Yeah. Ma- maybe. So you need money, right? It's got to be a place with money <laughs> yeah. in order to do stuff like that. <laughs> money or slaves, one of the two. So <laughs> they usually go hand in hand. So. Yeah. Right. So anyway, there were numerous fragments of these things, and they were able to basically reconstruct precisely what the temple looked like mm-hmm. just by putting that stuff together. Yeah, that's um, cool. It also seemed like the temple had a bit of an unconventional design for Romans, but similar to other structures found in uh, Palmyra and southern Syria. Yeah, I love that. Like edge regional mixing that happens because of course you're going to be influenced by the people that are actually from the area that you have occupied as the occupier right or spread to or whatever the case may be so that's it's really cool to see like that that mixing of the different regions and different peoples and this being a temple that means somebody was worshipped there And they don't know yet which deity was worshipped at the temple because they haven't found anything that explicitly states that through probably some sort of sculpture or something. Mm -hmm. But it has been suggested, I don't know by who, that it could have been for a Roman emperor cult. And I read that in the article. (laughs) I'm like, what the heck is an emperor cult? They just worship the emperor? I figured they did that anyway. Well, I think it goes beyond that. Like, they worship the emperor as a god rather than just revering him as as the emperor you know i'm not a roman scholar but i feel like that would be a little bit heresy against the actual roman gods yeah you'd think it would i don't know though i bet the emperors encourage that kind of behavior i bet they do (laughs) you know this brings up the fact that i don't know the answer to this question the point of this show is to basically talk about articles in the news from the perspective of an archaeologist and somebody who's just you know in the business so to speak but reading these things any archaeologist has had family members come up to them and say, oh, did you hear about this? Or yeah. what's the latest in Egyptology? It was like, literally don't know. I work in Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> like, we specialize in different areas and we don't know everything. And I'm only saying that because we did have some comments about our Viking episode in that we may have got some things wrong or generalized too much. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. We were talking about news articles and yeah. we're trying to we're trying to do the best we can to interpret what's going on there. We do we do some research about on these, but we're not writing a dissertation on it any of these articles so yeah we're not experts for sure and we're just trying to put an archaeology perspective an archaeologist's perspective on actual news yeah. articles so so don't take these things as the gospel so to speak or as a scholarly text just go look up the articles for yourselves form your own opinions and and do further research if you want to yeah you know we're just 
we're just here to try to give you some info and, and possibly entertain you a little bit. So, yep. All right. Well, speaking of entertaining, the Battle of Culloden <laughs> was not entertaining, although it is if you watch Outlander. It's My pretty favorite entertaining show. There. Yeah. So, we will talk about that on the other side of the break. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code TAS. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Welcome back to episode 144. And we are going to move over to Scotland for this segment we have an article called Archaeological Digs in New Locations at Culloden Battlefield. Yeah, and this article, just so you know, it's kind of kicked off us wanting to just talk about this. Yeah. Because the article is a little bit underwhelming in the fact that it's the BBC just telling people, hey, people are going to dig here soon, and here's what they hope to find, and yeah. here's where they're going to dig. Yeah. So it's not announcing anything that was newly discovered. It's what they hope to find and that they're about to do it, which mm -hmm. I guess is a pretty big deal over in Scotland because this is a, a well-known battlefield, a well-known area. Yeah. This bottle was like a pivotal turning point in the Scottish Highland and also in the Jacobite Rebellion. So mm -hmm. it's really an important battle that happened. And you and I both wanted to talk about it as well because we just love Scotland. <laughs> yeah, we were here. We actually went to this, the battle, we went to the battlefield. Yeah. And you can't walk on the battlefield, can you? We walked we, around we did. it. No, we did. Well, there's like a paved yeah, path, a path that went through. So they don't want you walking across cross the grass too much i yeah, don't I mean, think but a lot of people died there so yeah like like a lot of battlefields if you've ever been to like a civil war or a revolutionary war battlefield the battlefields themselves are a little bit underwhelming they're really just sacred spaces i guess because people died there yeah. and more than likely dropped things there which is what they're trying to find to i don't know to be honest I don't understand excavating battlefields. We know everything about the people that were there. You know, we, we know a lot about them in, in most cases. Not really ancient battlefields, you're right. But here, we know a lot about the Scottish Highland people. We yeah. know a lot about the British. And I'm like, I guess if we can find personal effects that can be traced to one person, that yeah. would be kind of cool. I think it's the individual aspect yeah. of it. We've been to Gettysburg, and I think we talked about this a little bit before. And 
the battlefield again is like kind of underwhelming and it's so huge and spread out. You have to drive yeah. to see most of it. However, the museum there was just fantastic and it really mm-hmm. told these personal stories of the different soldiers from both sides. Well, I found that to be very true with Culloden as well. Yeah, the, it, the museum, the, the area, the visitor center. Area yeah, was the museum was so great and it really walked you through like hand holding walked you through because a lot of people that show up there don't really know the history and yeah. it really does a good job of explaining the history and how they got to this point and who they were and what they were fighting for. So mm-hmm. if you get a chance to go there, it's obviously it's a beautiful area, it's Scottish Highlands. It's located near Inverness, a little, a little bit to the east of it. And we just found it to be an amazing experience while yep. we were there. Yep. Definitely want to go back to Scotland and spend a lot more time there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of a history of the Jacobites and Culloden and how they ended up facing off against the Duke of Cumberland's army at Culloden in 1746. So it kind of goes back pretty far and it all comes down to religion as (laughs) things always do. So in the 1680s, the Catholic King James II and VI was deposed and exiled in favor of his Protestant daughters. And the reasonings, there's a lot of reasons why he was deposed, a lot of stuff behind that. But the basic gist of it is England was a solidly Protestant country at this point, and they they didn't want Catholics on the throne anymore. Yeah, I think there was issues there. The king was taking advantage of things like there was a lot of problems going on with this specific king. But basically, they wanted all reigning monarchs going forward to be Protestant. So the Protestant daughters marry and then Anne, Mary is of William and Mary, and then Queen Anne. Both of them died without heirs. So they went through all of this trouble in the 1680s to put the Protestant daughters on the throne, and then they died. And they didn't have anybody to carry on the monarchy. So, And the last one of them died in 1714? Yeah, so that was 1714. Now, I think they saw the writing on the wall with this, because in 1701 the act of settlement was passed and that meant that the throne could only pass to a Protestant, which meant that any Catholic members of the family, and this would even be people with like Catholic parents or like any, any remote connection to a Catholic family member Mm -hmm. and you're out of succession. Right. (laughs) So that's what the act of settlement did. And it made when Queen Anne died in 1714, the throne was supposed to pass to her second cousin, George, who was a Hanover And you might recognize that name because it begins the long-reigning Hanover line. The Hanovers, however, were part of a junior family line, right? So one of the younger daughters or sons of a previous king, I can't even remember which one. So to a lot of people who expected to see more Stuarts on the throne, that just seemed like the lesser, the lesser option, a junior line, right? So that's where it stirred up issues and, and there was seeds of rebellion there. Interesting how you say, you know, the Hanover line, which ran for a while that everybody knows about. I don't think I've ever paid attention or could have named the name Hanover line. I mean, I don't know Stuarts <laughs> and Tudors and some of the others. I'm not like a huge British history buff either. Yeah. But like, and I'm sure I know some of the big names in the Hanover line. That yeah, been, you do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the but, Hanovers were on the throne when when the American Revolution and stuff were going was going on. So right, but there's no Netflix series called the Hanover. The Hanovers. But yeah. there's one called the Tudors. So hmm. yeah, that's true. But, and the Tudors and Stuarts are very like intermingled because the Stuarts are technically a 
descendant of the Tudors. Just real quick, that mm-hmm. that comes from Queen Elizabeth the first died without having any heirs, and so her nephew James, the King of Scotland, became the King yeah. of both Scotland and England, and he's the Stuart. So there you go. Like they were related. So the Tudors and Stuarts are kind of they're one fed directly into the other. Right. Right. So here's part of the reason why they passed the Act of Settlement is because they there were stirrings and troubles happening because of the daughters, the Protestant daughters, Mary and Anne, had a half-brother, a younger half-brother from their father's second marriage named James. And he was Catholic. His mother was Catholic. And, well, James himself was Catholic. That's why he mm-hmm. was deposed. So the son, James, also, also James, he was like, when his sister died, he was like, nope, I'm king now. <laughs> you guys aren't passing that to some junior line Hanover dude that nobody even knows. No way. I'm the brother. I don't care that I'm Catholic. My sisters are dead. I'm next in line. And, you know, that's that. And he actually made that claim in 1701 before Queen Anne even died. But anyway, he was very ready to take up his position after they they were gone. Mm-hmm. So the first Jacobite uprising, and Jacobite just refers to people who support that claim, that Catholic James, King James's claim to the throne. You think it'd be Jamesobite? I'm very I know. confused. I know. <laughs> no, it's Jacobite. And he, the first uprising happened in 1715 and it failed. They, there just wasn't enough support. He didn't, he thought there would be more support, but there wasn't enough support for it. So he's like, Hey guys. <laughs> yeah. But he had been gone too long. He, they, he was exiled to somewhere in Europe and like, he was barely even English at that point. And so when his rebellion didn't happen, and of course his rebellion happened right it coincided with the death of, of Queen Anne because he wanted to swoop in and take over and not let yeah. this Hanover upstart get in there. So he retreated to Europe to regroup. It took a long time, like 30 years. And I don't know, it almost seems like James was a little bit over it. And, and he <laughs> I'm not sure he would have ever done another rebellion. But then enter Bonnie Prince Charlie, which would be his son. And I'm sure you've heard Bonnie Prince Charlie before. He is the one who sort of rallied the second batch of of uprisings he gained support raises an army and he enters scotland with a primarily scottish force in 1745 Mm -hmm. and the reason he went through scotland is partly because of hearkening back to that james the first connection to scotland because he was the first he's directly descended from that first king who was both scotland and england but also because scottish people were just really over being under the thumb of English leaders at this point. There was a lot of taking of land from Scottish people and giving it to English people and just a lot of like discrimination towards Scottish people by, by the English. So I know I'm generalizing completely here. So if you're Scottish or English and you're mad about anything (laughs) I just said, I'm so sorry. I don't know completely. I just know that there were definitely tensions between the populations. (laughs) Tristan will give a rebuttal on the next podcast. Oh my God. Totally. We We should absolutely ask him to. Yeah. So, okay, so the army enters Scotland in 1745. They get all the way to Edinburgh. And there's a big victory at Preston Pains. Preston Pans, I'm not sure how to say that. And then they even were able to, like, snake into England a little bit, too. It got as far as Derby. So they really did, like, enter the, the country and took over. But they just couldn't get the support in England. And the English people just weren't that interested in in a Stuart King at this point. Mm-hmm. They had had 30 years of Hanover. Like, they were, they were fully into Hanover. They were done with Stuarts. And so 
the British, who had not really been paying attention to this uprising, they, you know, kind of let it go. But then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, we got to get some troops over there and get this under control. So they sent in the big guns, the Duke of Cumberland, and the Jacobites are in retreat. They they retreat from Edinburgh all the way back to Inverness and Culloden. And then that's where this big battle happens. So the battle, surprisingly, and I didn't I didn't know this, this I did get from the article, took 40 minutes. Yes. I mean, I don't know if if uh, people were steadily dying or if a lot of them died in a first initial push and then were all just like <laughs> killed by bayonets as they lay in the field. I'm not really sure. But 1,600 men died at Culloden and 1,500 of them were Jacobites. So they took out 100 of the British, which from the sounds of it, they were lucky of to the do English. so. Sorry, a hundred of the English. Yeah, yeah sorry. You got to distinguish in this right, context. Right. Yeah, because they were British. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that sounds right based on what I've seen in the show Outlander because mm-hmm. it was a very quick battle. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, it, it yeah, was very. Yeah, the battle took 43 and a half minutes, <laughs> according to. Uh, you know. uh, sounds about right to me. Yeah, stars. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, from what I read, the. English army had a much better position on the battlefield and they were better trained. They had better supplies. The The Jacobite army at this point is they had been invading Scotland for months at this point and mm-hmm. they're coming off a of winter. They didn't have a lot of supplies. They were hungry and it just everything was against them. Basically yeah. everything. The interesting thing about the excavation that is planned, given all this information, is the, the area where they want to dig and I'm willing to bet this isn't the first time the battlefield's been excavated, uh, which probably explains why they want to dig where they are. But they're digging where the left wing of a second line of British troops lined up on April 16th, uh, 1746, the day of the battle. So not even like the front line of British troops, mm-hmm. the next line back. So I, I, my thinking is they're doing that because they probably know just because of how many people died there a lot about the Scottish. They probably know a lot about the Scottish. Yeah. But your average like British soldier that was just called up to to come up and do that, that's who that's who they're gonna be at finding stuff for right now. Yeah. You know. But I'm also thinking like British uniforms, man, those things were tidy. They didn't drop anything and they probably brought <laughs> no extra things with them either. Like they had a camp miles back that had all their personal effects and the only thing they had on them was bullets and water. <laughs> I don't know. Men will be men. I'm sure they're messier than you're giving like them credit for. Musket balls and water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, but archaeologists do hope to find personal items, even at that, from a line of people that where very few people died and were laid there. Uh, but hopefully they dropped some stuff. And that's not the only thing, though. I mean, you have to you have to excavate, even if you don't think you'll find anything of any value. You gotta you gotta answer that question. Right? You, you don't know until you excavate. Yeah. Yeah. So. They plan to dig a series of pits um, close to the access road by the visitor center, so we probably saw exactly where they're going to dig. They also plan to do some drone photography and make 3D models of the area, which I'm surprised hasn't been done yet. Also, like, wouldn't be that hard. It's a big, grassy field. The 3D model, though, would include gravestones of the clansmen killed during the fighting, because there are gravestones and battlefield markers all over the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, They plan to make a 3D model of the Cumberland Stone, which I thought was interesting. (laughs) So the Duke of Cumberland decides to have breakfast or lunch, it's indeterminate, (laughs) on this big, huge boulder. Mm -hmm. It's like a big, flat boulder. Imagine like a river rock. You would, 
you skip across the the water mm-hmm. except the size of a car. Right. Right. Like it's a huge. great spot for sitting. It sounds like. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if he used it as like a table or he just like sat, you know, sat on it with his legs crossed and and uh, had lunch. But either way, at some point, he would stand up there and survey the battlefield and probably speak to the troops as well. So, but the big boulder is a what they call a glacial erratic, which means it's not from that area. It was pushed there by a glacier that was mm. moving from the. Uh, oh, I wrote this down. That was moving from about 20 miles south of Inverness. So oh, okay. Glaciers are forming and pushing out. That Glaciers don't necessarily come from the north. If you look at a big map, they like develop from the north as things get colder, but they develop from colder areas, and there's mountains all around. So mm-hmm. they would have like had little hot spots of glaciers that spread out They're in kind all of directions. Kind of in all directions, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. in a direction dictated by the landform. Right. So anyway, that's pretty interesting. Uh, There's actually lots of those kinds of glacial erratics all over Scotland, and Mm -hmm. they make stuff with them all the time. You look at the landscape, and it's just like random boulders all over the place. So Culloden happened. A lot of people died. And it basically meant the end of the Jacobite Rebellion, the end of Bonnie Prince Charlie's campaign to regain the British throne. And the prince, he did escape. And I love how they portray this in the TV show because they do make him seem kind of like, I don't know, wormy. <laughs> like he's just <laughs> kind of kind of wimpy and he just sort of takes off, mm-hmm. which is sort of how I envision uh, this guy. Maybe the show is leading me that direction. I don't know. But anyway, he escapes and he lives out his life in Rome, dies there 42 years later. I believe his father is there as well because he lives longer as well. So they both just sort of lived as exiled princes for the rest of their lives. Sounds like not too bad of a deal. Probably. I mean, did they have did he have kids? Like is there some weird exiled oh. king line living in Rome right now? Yeah, good question. <laughs> I haven't really looked into his descendants, maybe. Yeah. They're all just like stewing over there going yeah. someday. <laughs> someday. Someday. <laughs> well they'd be saying it in Italian though. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would be by now. Yeah. So the the lasting effect of this battle is that it really allowed the English to kind of squash the Scottish clan lifestyle. It was outlawed. They weren't allowed to wear tartan. Many were executed, obviously. The 1,500 that died on the battlefield represented a huge amount, but then they also executed a lot of other clan leaders and lords and people who were heavily involved in the rebellion. And the ones that weren't executed, you know, many of them were stripped of their lands and their estates and those were sold and the profits were used to further trade in agriculture in Scotland, but from a English... English profit. English profit perspective. And honestly, it leads to lots of the issues that happened down the road, like the famines that happened in Scotland because they just didn't have enough money to feed their people because all their profits were going to... Anyway, it just keeps feeding into this issues and tensions that, that have been that were in place for so many years between Scot- Scotland and England. And I yeah. think things are probably much better now. It's not like it is with Ireland, but mm-hmm. anyway, that's that's sort of like a brief, very brief history and why that battle is so important. It was kind of like the last stand of a separate Scottish well not even separate. They just wanted a Scottish leader on the throne, a Scottish somebody of Scottish heritage on the on the throne to potentially have more say in what yeah. You know, to be better to the Scottish people and it didn't yeah. work out. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, from there, we are finally going to just scoot right on down to England to talk about more Romans. More Romans. They were just Roman all over the place. Oh god. <laughs> 
may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, as promised, we are in England with a Roman excavation here. And this is a CRM project, actually, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool. And a lot of stuff is actually found by CRM projects in England they have a lot of similar laws and regulations that the United States does. And anytime something happens, you've got to go do an archaeological survey. And it's almost always an excavation because, you know, I mean, I'm sure they do transecting and and shovel testing and things like that. But when they get right down to doing something, it's an excavation and they almost always find stuff, I would imagine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for an area that's had people in it for so long and well-documented people, they probably even know where to find things half the time before they even start digging because they have historical records and things. Well, and the crazy thing here is they were already excavating a place. They were excavating a Norman church in a place called Stoke Manville, Buckinghamshire, England. And they're excavating this Norman church and they get down to a, a layer and they start finding these, what they called a rare collection of Roman busts. Yeah, that's so like, crazy. Oh, just buried under the church. Great. Yeah, totally. I mean, the church yeah. was significant enough because it had been there for like 900 years and the cemetery was in use for like basically that whole time. So they're dealing yeah. with burials that span practically a millennia. And then below that, here there, come the Romans. <laughs> there's an entire history buried under British churches. Right, totally. Right? Like, which king was found in a church parking lot, like buried in the church parking lot? Oh, that would be Richard the Third. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So they were excavating this circular ditch around what was thought to be the foundations of an Anglo-Saxon tower and found some busts. And the busts that they found so far, because I think this excavation may be ongoing, the head and torso of a female adult and the head and torso of a male child... And then the other, the third one is just the stone head of an additional child. I'm sure the bust is, or the torso is around there somewhere. Nobody would just carve a <laughs> child's head and leave it lying about. Uh, but they all they didn't. That's not the only thing they found. They also found a lot of Roman roof tiles, which would make sense. When things cave in, the roof tiles end up on the ground, then they get buried. Uh, Painted wall plaster, another common Roman thing. Mm -hmm. Cremation urns and a hexagonal Roman glass jug. And the article mentions that the the Roman glass jug, and I, I don't know if they date this thing, but it would have had to have dated too. It's gotta be at least 2000, right? Yeah. I mean, it's Roman. So, Um, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if it's that old right here in, in England, but either way, they said the only, 
analog to this glass jug is actually in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Yeah, <laughs> like, I thought that was so cool. There's not very many of them. And there's a really, really well done video in the Smithsonian article, which we'll link to in the show notes. And they actually like show like a video of the glass and how the yeah. pieces fit together. It's really cool. You should check it out. Nice. Yeah, lead archaeologist Rachel Wood uh, said the busts are so good, it's like looking into the past. <laughs> Although, I imagine when somebody had busts or something like that created of them in the past, it was much like we Photoshop people today. They're like, hey, oh, let's could you just like smooth tighten this me up out, here? make yeah. this a little bit smaller? Don't include this. Why would you carve my mole into the <laughs> into the bust? Why would you do that? Right. And oh, yeah. my hair. Yes, it's perfect and thick and luxurious. Yeah. And I want <laughs> eyebrows that are perfect parabolas. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. I am definitely on board with that. <laughs> so while I agree that it probably has the overall features of a person who looked mm-hmm. similar to that back in the day, I would imagine there was some creative license taken. I mean, anybody who can afford to have that done <laughs> is going to have some smoothing done. Well, yeah. I think she's partially referring to the preservation as well. And again, yeah. if you check out that video, you'll see the actual bust and the head. And then she puts the, the head on top of the bust, the, the woman, so you can see how they fit back together. Yeah. And it is very well preserved. It's very clear. You can see the either headdress or hair styling of the on the head. And it, it's really cool. So, yeah. Now, as a as a British person, uh, an archaeologist who, you know, lives over there and, and and works over there, she says in the article, it makes you wonder what's buried under England's medieval village churches. But we said that at the beginning of the segment, and I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, uh, I would be wondering that my whole entire career. <laughs> right. Like, every, every other thing is found under a church. Well, and like, okay, so humans are creatures of habit, right? Yeah. So... When they're going to build a new church and they have a spot that was already an important place for the people that lived there before and maybe the current people as well, like it just makes sense to build the church on top of the mausoleum or whatever Mm -hmm. the important building was that's already there. I think that's why you get these buildings, these layers of historical building occupations on top of each other. Yeah. And there's there's definitely three, actually three distinct cultures at play here. So you've got the Norman church is what they were excavating. That was on top of the, well, no, it wasn't totally on top. It was on top of the Roman mausoleum mm-hmm. that they think it was, but the, and that was a, a squarish building. Uh, but the Roman building appears to have been demolished by the Normans when building uh, St. Mary's church. And at some point could have been reused in the Saxon period before that church was built. Yeah. Yeah. So, because uh, they found Saxon pottery and a Saxon coin. Right. So, I mean, you know, churches and things like that, they were places where you would bring things. And maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe somebody was buried or interred there or, mm-hmm. or kept something there. I don't know if that's enough detail to say that it's definitely a Saxon, you know, thing right. uh, for reuse. But I don't know, maybe it was. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was interesting that the church was in use all the way up into the mid to late 1800s like 1860s or something like that i think so it might have saxon norman and roman origins but it was being used by christians up into the 1800s so these community spaces just get reused over and over because if you already have a building why would like why redo you know if you can if you can make it work for whatever you need to do in the moment well that and space and materials are always at a premium so So they speculate that the Normans, when they were building on the site of the Roman mausoleum, they actually did this to the busts on purpose in a 
in a degradation kind of way, like a mm. like a. They got canceled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like get out of here, Romans. We don't want your crap. And like they, the, it, you can only speculate on the on why things happened the way they did. They could have broken naturally there too, but. <laughs> yeah, but if they were going to reuse the space, why would they just like leave the decapitated stone heads around, <laughs> just like right there? Well, they're why probably they buried, have, right? Well, why would they bury them right there? That's what I never get about excavations. Even as an archaeologist, I'm like, why is there so many layers? of trash where people lived or did things like why is that it's so hard to wrap your head around it it's because like nobody wants to live among trash so like there must be some way that it's happening maybe they were thrown in the basement and then the basement caved in over time Uh, who knows yeah that's that's possible and then the basement's not used anymore and then eventually nobody even knows there was a basement there anymore so i guess i could filled in yeah yeah i I could see that happening so all right well send us your hate mail (laughs) For whatever we got wrong. (laughs) And uh, we will read it and be amused and move on to our next articles. Yeah. We're people. We don't know everything. (laughs) We do some research and we try, but. We just like to have fun and tell you about stuff. Yeah. All right. We will be back next week with a three more news articles found by our producer, Kimmy. And until then, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US dollars a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.